my talk this morning, and I've been free to choose whatever I talk on, um, which is a great blessing, um, is, um, um, I know I've entitled it, Quest for Fullness. Um, and um, part of my, well, the last 12, 18 months, um, I've been on a journey, and still on a journey of exploration into what fullness of life really is. And um, I would say that um, I play golf, so I'm a golfer, and in the golfing world, you have a handicap. Um, that doesn't mean that I play with one arm or anything like that. It, it means that there is a certain number of strokes that you should go around the course in, and that the, the better you are, the lower your handicap. Um, so my handicap, it, what... Um, so if I had a handicap of 10 and the course you meant to go around in 72, I'd go around in 82, all right? Uh, historically, the, the, the worse you are, the higher the handicap. So you get an extra, it used to be 28 shots, but you can go more than that now. I've been stuck for a long time on 13. Unlucky for some. But... Um, and 12 and 13, I just can't and haven't been able to get past that. And um, I've had lessons, but I went to something the other month where um, a golf coach gave me two pointers, and it's changed my golf game. My handicap is coming down. And so this morning... You know, in our Christian life, we can get stuck. And I want to give you, I'm hoping that out of what I share, you're going to get a couple of pointers that will change your current situation and um, will lead to greater depth and intimacy with God. That's what I'm hoping for. And so you get to share some of that, or I get to share some of that with you. So over the past 18 months, okay, so I have been pondering a number of verses. Uh, Matthew 18, 28 to 29, Jesus said, Come to me, all who are weary, heavy burden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I'm humble and gentle at heart. And you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy to bear and my burden is light. If you remember, Rick Thomas came and he spoke um, three weeks ago on this. Um, and, and I'll come on to that a bit later. But So my ponderings are, that's a promise in the Bible. Why am I not rested? Why do I actually find it burdensome? So, um, Ephesians 3.19, may, may you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to fully understand or understand fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. So my question is, why don't I feel like I've got all the fullness and power of God in my life? And... Um, 
and, and probably one of the key passages for me, because I love John, John for anyone who drinks. Jesus met, meets the woman at the well, and he says, anyone who drinks the water will soon become thirsty. Thirsty again, that's water from the well. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Now, I've got no doubt that I've got eternal life. But whether I've got a fresh bubbling spring or had a fresh bubbling spring, I probably wasn't sure. John 10.10 says that the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and life in abundance. And there are moments, of course, where I feel I'm full of life, but there were increasingly moments when I just was concerned that my life was not what I'm reading about. Now, you know, I, don't, I don't think I'm the only one. I observe my coping mechanisms, my life patterns, the things I go to when I'm feeling stressed, anxious. Um, they'll be different for you, but mine are sweets, wine gums in particularly, in particular. Um, shopping, believe it or not, I quite like shopping. All right, so I might just cheer myself up by buying myself something. I'm talking over my life, all right? These are my uh, exercise. You know, blokes are well known for fads. We jump from one, we can jump from one thing to another. It's, it's a coping mate, it's a pattern. I'm stressed, I'll do it, so I've done exercise. I like sport, I, I like those things. For you, it's going to be different. For me, it's those kind of things. TV. You know, how easy is it to walk in, sit down, switch the TV on? I'm doing it. I'm just, I'm just chilling. Chilling. My phone. <clears throat> Constant. Easy. It's a coping. It's a mechanism. It's a pattern of life that means that I am not experiencing the fullness of life. And I've learned to go somewhere in my life that isn't what God has for me. It isn't fullness. And I've, I've loved doing the Bible stuff, and um, something grabbed me. Somebody said, and I can't remember who it was, but I'm very grateful to them that you can listen to the Bible read out loud and it only takes 70 hours and 40 minutes at a narrative pace. 70 hours and 40 minutes that you can listen to the whole Bible. So the, the, the lovely U Bible app, you could download a speaker's version. I can plug it into my car and when I go off to see clients or wherever I go during the day, I've been listening to the Bible and then reading it. So I thought, I'm starting at Genesis. So I started at Genesis. So I'm reading, listening, and I'm speaking it out loud as well. So I'm reading it out loud. Ruth and I have done some things recently where um, so we often write our thoughts down, 
But then we don't speak them out loud, let them be heard. Especially if we're introverts. Wow, to hear your own thoughts expressed, to hear yourself read the Bible. Um, so I've been doing all those things. Um, anyway, I got to Genesis. I'm driving up the M5, and I get to a passage in Genesis, and I want to read it. The problem is my eyes are not brilliant at small stuff, so excuse me. So let's go to the next um, so I'm going to give you a brief, honestly, it's a brief look at Abraham, but this is the story, and you'll find it in Genesis chapter 24, and it's entitled in my new King James Version, which I normally read, but I'm reading the New Living Translation as a change, and I'll tell you what, to change translations is really helpful sometimes, it gives you some greater insight, um, and so I'm reading from the New Living Translation. This is a story in Genesis 24 of Abraham seeking a bride for Isaac. And so the story is he says to his servant, go find me a bride. I don't want one in the land I'm in. I want one from my homeland. Um, and he makes him swear, puts his hand under his thigh, and off he goes. Our culture has changed, doesn't it? How we do marriage has changed. We're now, it's about romance. There it was about partnership and difference and whatever. So I think we should go back. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Phil's loving it, I could see you. He's choosing your bride. <laughs> It was a family thing then, much more of a family thing than an individual thing. We should learn some things about that. I don't think it's all about romance. And then, um, so, it's another well story. So he goes, stands at the well, the servant, and he cries out to God and says, how am I going to do this? Lord, if, if you bring some, God, if you bring somebody and she feeds she waters the uh, animals and then waters mine and me. That's the one. And so that's what happens. And then he goes and meets her father. And they get into a discussion. How have you come here? And he says, um, he's explaining his conversation. This is the servant explaining his conversation to Rebecca's father. I said to my master, what if I can't find a young woman who is willing to go back with me? He responded, the Lord in whose presence I have lived will send his angel with you and will make you successful. Yes, you must find a wife for my son from among my relatives and my father's family. Then we, you will have fulfilled your obligation. But if you go to my relatives and they refuse to let her go with you, you'll be free from my oath. The phrase that grabbed me was the Lord in whose presence I have lived. I, I've never seen it like that. My um, reflections on, um, you know, because we've got the Holy Spirit, they didn't have the Holy Spirit living inside them. He came upon them from time to time, but Abraham didn't have the Holy Spirit 
God inside, God living in you and me. He didn't have that. And yet, it says he's lived his life in the presence of God. And I wondered what that really meant and how he worked that out and what that looked like and what it would mean for me to live my life in the presence of God. So I, I, rather than going forward, here I am trying to read the Bible, you know, or listen to it in 70 hours. I went backwards because I wanted to look at some of the stories with the knowledge now that he lived them in the presence of God. And I went, I went back to chapter 22. Now I want to ask you a question. 22 is the big test that Abraham had that we all know about. I want to ask you a couple of questions. I want you, and, and, and then I'm going to give you a minute to discuss it with your neighbor. My first question is this. Um, if God asked you to sacrifice your son, your only son, how long would it take you to process that and make up your mind as to what you're going to do? My second question is this. How old do you think? his son was. Right, you've got a minute to chat about those two questions. Number one, how long would it take you to make up a mind? Your one and only son. You know, for some of you, you've only got one son. How long would it take you? And how old do you think he was? Difficult to relate to, isn't it? It's really difficult, but to, to think about that what an incredible thing to be asked. <laughs> you don't know what. The sooner you did it, the easier it would be. So if it was a baby. So then, good, good comment. So Becky's comment was, the sooner you did it, so if the child was young, the easier it would be. So how old was he then? When? Okay, well we'll, we'll, we'll have a look. We'll have a look. So chapter 22, let's go to chapter 22. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much. Go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I'll show you the next morning. Abraham got up early, saddled his donkey, took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac, and he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had told him about. Here's a man living in the presence of God. God speaks something really challenging the next morning. I, I, I'm like, I, I don't know I could do that. Wow. So I, I'm going, this man Abraham, who didn't have the Holy Spirit, has got this relationship with God that I, I want a bit more of. What am I missing? What? <laughs> and we read the story. I find it incredible. So they go a distance, and then he says to his servants, right, um, we're off a bit. We're going. It's just Isaac and I from now. Um, uh, next slide, if you wouldn't mind. And um, we're off now. 
And his son says to him, um, Dad, uh, where's the offering? And Abraham says to him, his son, God himself will provide a lamb for the sacrifice. Abraham, in that moment, was naturally prophetic. What an incredible moment. Where out of who he was and how he is living, the, the accidental phrase was so amazingly prophetic that living his life daily in the presence of God meant that how he spoke, what he spoke, had eternal significance and was incredibly prophetic. I want to say to us, when we live in the presence of God, your everyday conversations, we should expect the prophetic word of God to come out of our mouth into situations. And God will use who you are, how you are, your type of personality. So for me, I think I'm funny. Not everybody thinks I'm funny, but I have been reflecting on how at times humor for me has unlocked situations. And I've said something in jest which has absolutely been true. And it's brought a sharpness into a situation and a enlightening of a situation. Here he's walking up. Now, then he binds his son. This is what I find amazing. I always thought he was young teenager but when you read that the next chapter his mum dies and she's 130 127 that would make Isaac 37 now I'm not saying now here's here's my thought so it's likely he was between the ages of 20 and 40 so he was a man so he bound his son now if I try and bound my 20-year-old son because I want to kill him, he might wrestle me and beat me up. Certainly, that would happen with me, with Paul. <laughs> yes. Um, listen to this. Isaac complied. He didn't fight his dad. He trusted his dad. <laughs> That's blown my mind. That living their life. So Isaac watched his dad live his life in the presence of God. Their family was impacted. His son was impacted so strongly that he trusted his father. Because he saw his father's life lived out in the presence of God. Fathers, we have a responsibility to live our lives in the presence of God before our children. So they can see our obedience to him in our lives before. I, I think that's so, so important for us. I, I've had to apologize to my children. Each of them. And I've done it in tears. For just how some of my own anxieties and insecurities I've seen replicated in them. And it's broken me. To understand that he lived his life in the presence of God and had that impacted his 
decisions. What's the time? My watch. I've got this new watch. It doesn't actually... Okay, I haven't got long. So Abraham, next slide, developed a friendship with God. It says three times we can find in Scripture. You can note them there. In Genesis 18, so I'll go bump backwards again. You read of his discussions with God around Sodom. And he's, he's bargaining. He's influencing God. He's influencing. We, our, our living in the presence of God means that he, we're able to influence him. We're, we're able to influence God because it's a friendship. So God listens to us. In chapter 22 again, Abraham, you know, the angel comes and Abraham says, I'm listening. So there's influence, there's sharing of plans. God says, suddenly in 18, shall I share my plans? How can I keep my plans from a friend? And so God wants to share his plans with us. He wants us to share our heart and our desires. And I think they become mixed then. You know, as you grow in relationship in marriage, you find that you, you influence each other. I like some of the things that I never used to like because Ruth likes them. And she likes some of the things that she likes watching cricket sometimes. I mean, that's crazy. She's from Scotland. They don't play cricket in Scotland. <laughs> it might still seem crazy for some of you, whatever. But um, we grow. And, and friendship with God has to be cultivated, but it, it's meant to be a two-way thing where trust is developed. Goodness me, he must have trusted God's promise to him, mustn't he, that he would have a son and he would be. Maybe he did understand that even if he killed him, God could raise him up. Do you, maybe he did. I, I don't know. I have lots of questions. And, and our friendship, and I've mentioned it with God, makes us naturally prophetic. So last night was a naturally prophetic. There were many prophetic conversations going on. Sometimes we realize it, sometimes we don't. I had an amazing time myself. One of the guys hugged me so much at the end, my wife smelt his aftershave. <laughs> Said, you smell nice. <laughs> I was thinking, I didn't tell her at the time. I wouldn't mind. It was one of the guys that he, he cried on my shoulder and then kissed my neck. And, he, and then he, he went in for hug number two. It was a precious, precious moment that left me weeping. He was a really big. Yeah. <laughs> It really hurt, and it was a really big kiss. I was just hoping there was nothing on my neck, you know. <laughs> and, you know, I had a couple of conversations. One of the guys showed me, he said, this is where I live. And he said, I'm a hoarder. So one of his, so he told me his two, two of his coping mechanisms, he says, alcohol, he didn't say this. He said, this is what I do, I'm, a, I'm an alcoholic. 
and I hoard these things. I can't let them go. And he showed me his bed where he slept. It was the dirtiest place I've seen. And I said to him, I said, really, that's just a picture of what your heart's like and the mess on the inside. And he said, yes, that's right. And I said, it's just expressed like this. And Jesus can come and he can clean up all that rubbish. And he said, I'm not, I'm not ready to open the door. Not yet. I had two conversations like that last night. And um, I loved it. And then I'm away and then I'm praying. I want to influence God for these people. I want to influence. I want to influence him. Anyway, I don't know how quite I got to that, but that's... We're to be naturally prophetic that our conversation, and we need to recognize that a little bit more, but it will only come out of presence, spending time and living our life in the presence of God. Jesus, next slide, please. <laughs> he he calls... In John 15, he said, I don't want to call you servants. Now, when Rick spoke, you know, bear in mind that many of us, even in this church, have grown up in a culture where service is really high. And, and Rick came and he, he said that. He's, he modeled service. You know, nobody, you know, we used to have serving teams, didn't we? And you'd turn up and all the chairs are done. Because Rick's here at 7.30 in the morning. He's done it all. You know, and that's because that was how he was taught. That was his narrative. That's his story. That's what he believed. And, and then he was sharing that it actually damaged him. And we've grown up with a narrative of servanthood. But, but God's... And please don't hear that we're not meant to serve. You know, please don't hear that. If you're not now thinking, I'm saying... Don't you dare serve. It's not what I'm saying. But when you hear yourself is saying, I ought to, I should. We've got a problem then. And do you know what servanthood is? It's a coping mechanism to relationship with God. It's not relationship with God. It's a relationship with serving and duty. Not friendship. And the Son of Man, it says in Luke 19.10, came to seek and save the lost, not seek and serve the lost. What I loved about last night is that we loved them, we served them, but we didn't stop there. We gave them the gospel and gave them an opportunity to respond. Because otherwise, it would be, we, we came to seek and serve the lost. We're not here just to serve them. We're here to see them saved. Jude says, some come through fear. We're to drag them from the fire. An understanding that there could be eternal punishment for them. A lake of fire, the parables tell you. Jesus told those parables. Are we rescue? Where are we rescuing them from? We've got to drag them. And it comes out of friendship, not servanthood. He wants that. So, practically, 
right? Just some practice. How do I do this then? How do I live in the fullness of God? What's going to help me to live daily in the presence of God? Well, firstly, I would say, let's recognize where we go to when we're stressed or we're anxious. What are our coping mechanisms? What are they? You'll be different to me. When you get anxious, where do you go? Do you lock yourself away? Do you go and read some fiction? Romance novels? I had a friend, you should went to romance novels. Where do your thoughts go? What do you watch on television? I told you some of mine. Paul wrote this, I die daily. What I've realized is that, yes, I believe that I'm saved and I always will be. That's what I believe. But I've realized I, like Paul, I die daily. Actually, I need saving every day. So Noah made me a cross. It's in my house. I sit in the morning and I look at it. Because there's many things, you know, when I feel anxious or nervous or I'm insecure and I want to go somewhere else to the wine gums, I'll go to the cross again. I want to lay it down. And, I, you know, I've begun to understand if, we, if, if it's a compulsion... If we can't stop doing something, so if there's something in your life you can't stop doing, my observation and um, reflections are this. That there's probably some demonic activity if you can't stop doing it. And you need some help and some deliverance from Jesus. If it's every now and again, then there's probably some wound that needs healing. So let's say every six months you find yourself cascading back into pornography or cascading back into overeating or cascading back into something else. And I would say there's likely to be a wound that just needs healing up and you just need to learn to stand in the freedom that you've got and fight blinking hard and send it back from where it came from. But if you can't stop something, you probably need some sort of deliverance and help. There's some demonic activity going on in your life. It's nothing to be afraid of or ashamed of. It's just influences on our life over the years. And you need some help. And so we need to live in God's presence. So I, I'm doing that, and Ruth and I more recently. So, um, you know, we had a season of Thanksgiving. And we used to coin a phrase, thanksgiving is the password into his presence. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise and worship. So music, so worship isn't just music, it's many other things. But it's a heart thing. And so for me, I stick music on. There are certain songs that grab me. 
you know, just, just like in a morning when we sense the presence of God and somebody sticks on a song because it's doing so, something's happening in that moment, like we stuck on a song this morning. And it's important to recognize that and just flow with it. And so that's what we've done. We sing songs though for our children, our family. That's what we've been doing recently. So that's some of my practice. I've been listening to the Bible, reading it. I read other books as well. I get stuck on something like I was telling you about, and then I go back and see how it... And I ponder things. Mary pondered them in his heart. I've been reading Luke over the Advent season. And she, there's twice in the beginning four chapters where Mary ponders things in her heart. And we're to chew on things. We're to ponder things and reflect on things. And I've been pursuing friendship with God been more poignant for me having friends moved away and Neil die that I've been crying out to God for friendship in a deeper more intimate way than I've ever known it before that that's my heart that's my desire because I want to live my life in the presence of God I want my words to count I want a conversation or a talk like this to impact people's lives and impart something and you grab something from it and you go, I need to think about that. I want to be free of that. I want to get, I want more friendship with God. That's my desire. I can't do your friendship. You can't do mine. We can encourage one another. We can push one another. We can prod one another into, but I can't do your friendship. You have to do your friendship with God. Let's, let's just open our hearts and respond to God. Let's just ask Him. So if you want just a greater depth of friendship with God, let's reach out to Him in our hearts. And let's ask Him for more together. I'm just going to pray, and I'd like you to pray with me, if that's you. So, Holy Spirit, thank you that you live, you came to live inside of us. I want to ask you that you teach each one of us here how to live in your presence every day. That it something we live out in front of our family, our friends, our work colleagues, our neighbors, whoever we encounter, that our life and our, our story can be the same as Abraham's, that we've lived our life in your presence. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that if there are things that need healing, removing from our lives, that you come now and you speak to people in their hearts, in their heads, that they might know that today is the day where they can be free and healed. In Jesus' name, amen.